Hey guys, it is Lori here. Hey, I want to let you know that for the month of June, we have a buy one, get one free going on for that Journey Well study. Don't know what it is? Go to lorikrieg.com, click on the shop page, and you can find out more. It's a devotional that people are doing all around the world, which is pretty incredible. Uh, it's for yourself or to do in a mentorship pair or a small group. Right now, it's buy one, get one free for the month of June. So go hit that deal up. Thanks, guys. Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 130, Authentic Authenticity in Your Closest Relationships. How about that for a tongue twister, Steve? <laughs> hey guys, this is Lori. I am your host and I am sadly not alongside my favorite licensed therapist, Argyle expert, and my husband and amazing parent, Matt Krieg. He is with the kids, which I have heard them stomping around like elephants for the last while, so hopefully they're playing elephant games. Uh, but I do have with me, via the wonderful, can we even jokingly say the wonderful world of Zoom anymore? We can just say <laughs> the world of Zoom. Yeah, it's the new reality, yeah. <laughs> it is. But I have, alongside me, via our new reality Zoom, producer Steve. <laughs> Oh, hi. <laughs> Steve, which before we get rolling, if you guys are watching this on the old video, we are now cool kids. So in <laughs> case you were wondering before, it's just true now is we now uh, are posting these episodes to our YouTube and Vimeo channel. And this is our second episode. The last one did have Matt, but this one did not. Uh, but we are in different locations. You'll see Michigan is... I think permanently sheltering in place, which is just fine. Uh, but you can at least see our faces without our masks, which we are going to wear them. Um, but joining us, you guys can see that on the video, giving us some reprieve and human contact uh, is Ryan Frederick. His wife, Selena, couldn't be with us, but he is going to help us explore true authenticity through he and his wife's new book, See Through Marriage. Ryan, welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Selena... <laughs> Much like you have going on over there, she is watching the kids. I can hear pans and plates clanking around. It's still almost dinner time here, so uh, she's she's holding down the fort for me. So she she apologizes she couldn't be here. No worries. Where are you calling from? Where are you guys located? Yeah, we're in uh, the the northwest, just south of Seattle. So oh, the yeah. rainy state of Washington, which is very sunny at the moment, doesn't get better than this around here when it gets sunny. Um, yeah. I was just there and it was beautiful and warm. Nice. But you guys, just to get to know Ryan and Selena a little bit better, they created together FierceMarriage.com, which sounds amazing. It is amazing. I've checked it out uh, in 2013 when they felt God calling them to share with brutal transparency <laughs> or authentic authenticity, if you will, the struggles that, that God had helped them overcome. And since then, FierceMarriage.com has grown into a thriving online community with over, more than 200,000 unique visitors each month which I think is like a million each. I don't know. You guys get a lot of hits. Uh, but Ryan and Selena have written several books, including Fierce Marriage and the one that we're going to be looking at today, which if you guys are watching this on video, I've got a copy of it right here. Uh, See Through Marriage, Experiencing the Freedom and Joy of Being Fully Known and Fully Loved. Ryan and Selena have three daughters, and I have it right here in my notes. You live in Tacoma, Washington. Yes. I am super excited to uh, dive into more of this authentic authenticity. But we're going to talk about the question <laughs> of the week from last week which guys my corona brain is like not actually full of corona 
Thank you, Jesus. Uh, but I forget, I keep forgetting to ask you, the audience, these questions. So we're just going to pull the group here and we're going to ask each other this question, which is this. What, before the pandemic, were you like, dude, I need that? And then like pandemic hit and you're like, all right, fine. It's not a need. So you got any of those, Ryan? Yeah, you know, lots of them actually. And some of them I'm more proud of than others. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the one that I'd say I'm kind of proud of is we don't really need a car that badly. I've come to realize we awesome. live uh, by God's grace. We live within walking distance of a grocery store. Like here in the Northwest, we have these stores called Fred Meyers. I don't know if they have those anywhere else. Uh, do they, do you, have you ever heard of we that? Have, no. So we, Meyer is like the biggest grocery store and Fred right. Meyer was the one who started it. I don't know. Maybe it's they're competitors. Maybe it's though. the same person. Oh, it's spelled, it? I think okay. yours is M-E-I-E-R, right? J-E-R, J yeah. Oh. Silent yeah, vowel words. Yeah, no, our, yeah, ours is just sounds like how, you know, M-A-Y. Okay. Anyway, uh, it's kind of like one of those stores that kind of has everything. It's like a Walmart, but not. Um, so anyway, we uh, one of our cars actually died uh, in oh. our driveway. I went out to go get in it and start it. It's, I mean, the battery might have been going south, but I, I don't know. It's dead in a doornail. I'm guessing someone left the door open. But it's dead, and I didn't even realize it for like a month. So, building <laughs> cars apparently as badly as I thought we did. Wow. That's tr especially now, but I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Steve O'Dell, how about you, man? Uh, well, I thought I need at least a weekly date with my wife, and it turns out I do. But we don't necessarily <laughs> have to do it the way we used to. Was we would nice. always have Friday breakfast date after we get the kids to school i got a little window of time before i have to be to work and so that's what we would always do and so we have had to kind of figure out oh how, how do we how do we connect and you know talk about the important things and all that stuff without having our little breakfast joint we go to so we figured that out the other one that i thought i needed and i guess i don't is um a movie theater that I can go to uh, as much as that. I possibly can. Um, <laughs> that's something I've missed, but actually I've, it's, it's faded. It's, you know, at, at first it was like, man, I was, I was in withdrawal, but I'm, I, I guess I've kicked the habit. Good for you. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's funny. You yeah. say that you kicked the habit when you said, <laughs> we thought when you started to say, you don't need to have your breakfast joint. <laughs> oh, <laughs> 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 I live in Washington State, and right. that's been legal for a long time. Been legal there so longer I'm like, than really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm Sorry, an old that, person, that. so when I say joint, I mean like a place. No, yeah. I, I got, I got I it, be but for a split second, that. I was yeah, I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh boy, well. I'll try and step in here. That was awesome. Um, I was actually on the same thing, but not on a breakfast joint, but on the date <laughs> conversation is we do need a date. Um, but Matt and I, our tradition has been we record the podcast at 630 on Wednesday nights and then after we go out and we've been not doing that we've been in our house but uh instead of going out which i do desire that i just want to go get good food out somewhere mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and we haven't um but we will maybe get uh food to go or what's actually been really sweet is 
having a glass of wine and just sitting in our favorite blue chairs and just catching up at the end of the day has been Mm. really sweet. And so there's conversation. We're not in front of a TV. And um, I don't know. That's kind of a new thing. Not every night, Steve, with your breakfast joint. (laughs) Got to get it before 8 a.m. Yeah. It's every once in a while. It's at least once a week. And so it's been really, it's been a really great way to connect that is different. That's awesome. All right. So Steve's going to kick off the visual side. If you guys are watching this on the old YouTubes and Ryan and I are going to talk marriage specifically about your book. But before we do, we have a set of questions. We ask every guest. We've done it for the last 120 some episodes, which it's this. If the gospel is, I am more love than I imagine, and yet more sinful than I believe, when, Ryan, was that gospel first good news for you, and how do you still need, really, how do you need Jesus today? Man, that's a great question. Like, I I would be one of those people that um, could say I grew up in a Christian home. My my dad was a Baptist... uh, so we're in the Northwest. So when I say Baptist up here, it's not the same thing that people hear if you're like in the South or in the Bible Belt anywhere. Uh, it can mean a hundred things up here. And uh, anyway, I grew up in my dad was a Baptist pastor. He got really burnt out and had a terrible experience left when I was like under, you know, seven years old. And so we kind of church hopped my whole life. Never really had a family church that I can remember meaningfully. But my parents uh, kind of like had, had me going to summer camp. So I think I probably responded to the gospel the first time. Uh, got in tr- I'll make this short, but I got in trouble at a summer camp. We brought um, basically cherry bombs and blew up the toilet and had the literal come to Jesus talk <laughs> uh, with one of the leaders of the camp. And they were just like, listen, we get that you did this thing, but this is kind of uh, um, a symptom of a deeper need, right? And so that was the first time I really felt God call me and get a hold of my heart. And, um, and I, by his grace, responded to that and, and started reading uh, the word daily for the first time. I was probably 15, 16 years old. Um, but tragically, ended up in a church that didn't really preach the full gospel uh, for the next uh, 13 years. So now, granted, God is gracious. Like He used that that church experience to continue to to bring us closer to Him. But it wasn't really until probably early 30s. So I'm 37 now, and so it wasn't until probably five, six, seven years ago. And I was like, "This is the full gospel." Like, there's there's a sin part, and it's horrible, and it's scary, and it's terrifying, and God's wrath is real because He's holy and awake. Jesus satisfied his wrath on the cross. And that is, an, I mean, that's the good news, right? The good news is as good as the bad news is bad. And the need for a savior, you know, it is so massive. When you have a big view of your own sin, you have a bigger need for a savior, right? So that I think is where the gospel really came to bear weight in that area of our lives. But uh, so, yeah, it's a bit of a gray answer, but that's, that's what I'd have to say. That's killer, though. I love that. And when you say the full gospel, you're talking about that love piece, which is something. I mean, you can't hear about God's love enough every day, which Mm. I guess, like, how then do you still need that full gospel today? Right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's that uh, revelation, I should say, or that epiphany, that personal epiphany of really understanding the doctrine of man rightly. 
right? That I'm a, I'm a sinner in need of constant grace and literally every, every moment is, is, a, is an act of God's grace. Um, it's, it's really transformed our, our household, our relationship. We're going on 17 years married into one that really is, I think, marked by the Christian um, habit of repentance and belief, right? And so there's this, I think we tend to kind of understand our sin kind of, you know, uh, in our need for Jesus kind of in an, from an ideological standpoint, it's really kind of helped us mourn our sin in more of a, not a somber, it's somber in a sense, but you don't wallow in that. You, you, you just repent and believe you turn away from it. And so a lot of times our conversations at, in our version of the blue chairs is around like, listen, I haven't loved you well, and I'm sorry. Whereas maybe not understanding our need for a savior would, would, uh, if we didn't understand that, that those conversations wouldn't be as often and our relationship wouldn't be filled with this type of repentance and, and deeper authenticity. Yep. That's killer. Okay. So that word authenticity that you just landed on and, you know, I have this cheesy mm. title, which, Hey, I like it. Let's <laughs> go with it. Um, but it's kind of like, I want to say currency in our culture right now, and you can use it in a number of ways in the sense, mm. like even that word use is, you know, you see some people, it's like they play just enough of it mm-hmm. and then you like them or maybe I don't, it, they're, it's like a big risk and it either can pay off or not, but it feels like there's a couple different ways to go about it. So like, how mm-hmm. can we go about like, publicly, you know, online in these different spaces, or maybe with our friends, I guess I'm kind of thinking online where authenticity yields good fruit. And then how can we do it in a way that is, I don't know, it just is something about it is false. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what do you what do you think? Yeah, I mean, so we talked about that in in this book, and the words we use were faux authenticity or fake authenticity. And some of that was cued off of uh, Andy Crouch wrote a book called Strong and Weak, and he he talked about this concept of meaningful risk and what it means to actually be authentic with an end in mind. So so anytime our authenticity has an end in itself other than what we see in first John one, right. It says uh, in first John one, I think it's verses five through nine. It says we walk in the light as he is in the light. So that, so walking in light, be, living in full light of the gospel so that we can have fellowship with one another and be cleansed from our sins. So I think what you're queuing on is this, there's a version of authenticity in the world that is an end in itself, or it's some other, it, 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 it's leading us to some other end that other than Christ, other than having fellowship as the Christian church, other than being cleansed from our sin. And so we contrast this. So for married couples, and this would go for singles as well. um, But I always think of like the Christian small group setting, right? It's this, it's such a weird little subculture microcosm, especially but from church to church and from group to group, you kind of get this, I say weird, I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but it's just very unique. Some of them are weird in a pejorative way, (laughs) but some are, but, but all are unique. And so we'll sit down and we'll kind of, uh, hey, how, how's your marriage doing, right? And just like you said, you'll share just enough, right, to like pass the, the test and, and you just kind of hope they move on depending on where you're at. And so we actually have a little grid that kind of compares false vulnerability with uh, meaningful risk. And I just, it helps clarify for me, so I'll share a few. Uh, one of them, uh, so you, you imagine going around a group and you're asking each other, how are you doing? What's the update? And uh, and so like false vulnerability would look like, well, I struggle with lust 
please pray for me. Uh, uh, but that one drives and me that's nuts. Kind of a, <laughs> it's general enough, right? And people are like, oh yeah, yeah, you struggle. Okay, well, we'll pray for you. And some of this is not appropriate in a mixed setting, right? With men and women, you'd want to kind of make sure you're discerning what's appropriate. Right. But a meaningful risk version of that same answer would be, uh, I'm addicted to pornography and I feel ashamed and I don't know how to stop. I need help, right? And so there's a difference there in that you're being a little bit more granular in how you're explaining it. But also you see the meaningful risk is that I don't know how to stop. I need your help. I need you to speak into my life in a way that's actually going to change my behavior, change my thought patterns, change my belief systems to actually up, uproot some of what I hold dear in my own identity. And that's meaningful risk. And then there's an end in mind other than just, hey, I'm just going to put this on the internet because it's sensational and I want your pity, but really I just want the attention. I don't actually want to go anywhere else besides what I've already been doing, you know, in this, whatever the situation is. So anyway, I hope that's, that makes sense. It does. And I'll just do one more because I'm like, Oh shoot, dang, you wouldn't post this on Instagram or this would be hard where it's, I should fast from social media because it's distracting, which you might hear that versus meaningful risk. I spend too much time and energy seeking personal validation online and it's causing dysfunction in my walk with God, family, sleep patterns. Like you ain't going to get no likes with that kids, but you are going to, you're being vulnerable, which I mean, probably that's not the appropriate place, but like to like on Instagram, but shoot, if you did, wow. Well, it's, and that's the irony is that as soon as you share that, it's like, well, why did you share that then? (laughs) If you're having a hard time with this, just walk away. Like so many of those epiphanies are just like, okay, I seen a Throw my, put my phone on the, you know, somewhere else and just go talk to my wife about this instead of broadcasting yeah. it. Like, so it's, yeah. yeah. It is so revealing our, our hearts, our hearts search for validation and meaning mm. and purpose. And okay. So, I mean, like I was reading through your book, but also even directly on the cover, on the back, you say marriage is all about oneness. So how does oneness relate to authenticity in, in marriage? Mm. Yes. The oneness meaning, uh, unity, uh, you know, a husband and wife being joined as one flesh, meaning that I, I no longer am just concerned with myself, but now I'm actually concerned with my wife as if she were me. Right. And so, uh, authenticity, true authenticity, which I love it. I love the title, by the way, authentic authenticity, because it's almost like you have to qualify this thing because it's taken on a life of its own. So authentic authenticity lends itself to oneness because uh, there's, a, there's a quote by Jen uh, Wilkin, and she says, uh, the heart can't love what the mind does not know. And I just, it, I, it's powerful. People always quote her on it, and, but it's so true. And it's so letting your spouse into a part of your heart, a dark part of your heart, they're actually exposing yourself in these meaningful ways, uh, gives them an opportunity to actually love you in a way that you probably thought you weren't lovable uh, in that area. I heard another a sermon where the, the um, I'll use a quick uh, personal example, is I had I, in my past, I, I don't know, I don't even know the age, I was probably 10 years old, 12 years old, uh, had some real, real, some things happen that were caused a lot of shame. And I kind of ended up just squishing those things down and you don't really process through them. Uh, cause you kind of just, you get on through life, you stay distracted. You don't think it's necessary in it. In it. And everybody's kind of got probably these categories of things that happen to them. But I had never brought it up to Selena. We're going on 17 years uh, being married and I'd never brought this stuff up to her until 
for whatever reason, it just kind of like I thought of it and I thought, oh, that's, uh, I just felt the shame. I felt the, I didn't want to share it. I just wanted to just put it back in its dark corner of my heart and just let it die there and, and, and hope it just goes away again for another 15 years. Right. Well, it wasn't going away. And so I spent like a, a week kind of fighting this thing. And then I heard a sermon that was like, you'll never feel fully loved by your spouse if you're, if you're only sharing 99% of yourself with them. Because always, they'll always say, oh, I love you. I love you no matter what. And then and in the back of your mind, you're always thinking to yourself, you, I hear you, but you wouldn't really love me if you knew this. Like, that's, that's, I'm just going to keep that because I know that you won't love. So whenever we live authentically, truly, and we, 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 we practice transparency, meaningful risk, it does two things. It gives our spouse an opportunity to love the way Christ has loved us in our ugliness, in our sin, in our, in our brokenness, right? Because it's not always sin that leads to that shame. Sometimes it's another thing, but maybe some sin that was committed against you. But it gives them an opportunity to love us the way Christ has loved us. But then it gives me an opportunity to see and experience, right, that love. So there's an exchange there that's happening that's not possible without this type of transparency. And obviously it takes on many different skins and, and faces, but uh, that's that oneness, that unity is is is. I don't want to say it's impossible because it's it's almost like you can feel unified, right? when you're dealing with stuff, but I think there's a deeper level that, that is possible through living uh, uh, in a gospel saturated sense of transparency. Mm-hmm. And if it, if marriage is a picture of Christ's marriage to us, mm-hmm. he wants every bit of us mm-hmm. and we want every bit of him. And so if we really are going to do the metaphor that's the invitation it's not Mm. the you know the backhand it's the invitation to even experience deeper levels of the gospel in this knowing Mm. each other deeply oh it's so true um and that i love to use the word invitation because uh so often we can't look past this obstacle right and we just can't the, the cost benefit is not there. So I think it's important uh, to actually do highlight that benefit, right? We go to Christ, we confess our sin. We, we put our, our faith in him alone. Why? Because we want life because he offers us life on the other side of our death and he has conquered death and he is inviting us into eternal life, He's inviting us into that unity within that communion with him. And I think that that invitation exists within, within the marriage as well is that you, and, and so seeing that on the other side of it is that, yes, I know it's going to hurt. There's a cross in there somewhere, right? A dying to self in there somewhere, but I can, I can die to myself because Christ has, has paid the price for my ultimate sin. Right. And so I think on the, and that's what we try to say to couples is that, listen, you're not just being authentic because it's the, we're saying you, you should be, or not, or even the Bible. It's because there's a promise there, right? Within the gospel, there's a promise to, that on the, on, the, on the other side, there's a greater fullness of life, a, a maybe a more circumspect experience of love and covenant. How does this differ from like codependency, hmm. like this sort of controlling, submissive, like dysfunctional sort of relationship? Like, how does oneness and authenticity differ from that? That's a good question. I've had to study up on codependency as part of this, like learning about uh, how to communicate this well. But as I understand it, codependency is um, 
you know, it's, it's harmful. And it's usually around um, some sort of uh, psychological or physiological or emotional reliance on a, a partner for some need, whether that's uh, in support of an illness or an addiction, right? So, uh, in some cases, the illness or the addiction is, you know, the sin or an addiction itself, whether it's drugs, alcohol or pornography or gambling or whatever that addiction is. So basically, you're saying that I will I, I, I need you so badly and you need this thing so badly. So I'm going to help you get this thing because I can't live without you and you need me because I, you need this thing. And so that that's what codependency is. So, again, the end in itself, it's it's an it's it's a. Um, authenticity looks at the sin not as a means to get to the person but as a as a means to uh to experience the fuller grace of christ right so i guess uh the the thing that really helps me in it in making this distinction is that codependency oftentimes is about enabling and about peacekeeping right but the picture we see in the in in the gospel, especially in like Matthew five, I think it's Matthew five verse uh, nine. He talks about blessed are the peacemakers, or they they will they will um, be sons of God, right, or be made sons of God. So, I think peacekeeping is not necessarily the mandate of a of a gospel saturated spouse or a gospel saturated marriage, and rather we're called to be peacemakers. And I love the subnote. I got to find it, but there's a sub. There's a um, What is it like a study note on that on that passage? Here it is. It says peacemakers are those who promote God's messianic peace. Okay, so uh, the word there is shalom, which we all know, um, or some of us know, or a total well-being, both personally and communally. Right, and so the idea of being a peacemaker in a marriage is that you know that it might be hard to to address the sin and not just enable or like. I hope I'm being clear on this, but peacemaking says we're going to get through this and I'm not going to tolerate this, this sin because I know it's hurting you. I know it's hurting our marriage. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? It does. And the sin doesn't have to be as obvious as, you know, an addiction to gambling mm-hmm. or something like that. Like I know I've got people I'm in relationship to who like woke up to codependency in their relationship when they're like, you know, my husband's anger, like he just wants Mm. his stuff this way or her anger. And so you kind of, when you get married, there can be, and Tim Keller will talk about this, like where it's like, you make these agreements with each other, like, okay, you can Mm. do that thing. If I can do this thing and I'll tiptoe around your thing, even if it's just like, okay, you, Mm. you know, drink this or smoke that, but it's not even have to be drinking or you get mad about this, or you're not kind to this person in that relationship. And so we, we end up contorting and our oneness is a contorted oneness as opposed Mm. to how can two things fit together perfectly is they themselves have to be moving more and more into perfection. Mm. And so you both need to be looking more and more like Christ to actually have that unity. Mm. But that contortion can only happen if you're like pushing on each other. So there has to be that iron sharpening iron, which means Mm. those silent agreements we make where, yeah, sure, you can do that if I can do this. Uh, (laughs) We got to shut that mess down and look at Mm. Jesus to be really unified. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. And I, I think oftentimes we see the gospel and it's one of those kind of, I hate to say it, but gospel's becoming kind of one of these buzzwords, right? Or it has become a buzzword. I don't care. I'm going to still say it. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah. But so the gospel, it, it obviously sealed 
and secured our salvation, but it's not the end of the equation, right? The gospel is also for our sanctification. And that's why there's got, there has to be this ongoing softness toward each other that looks like repentance and believing, right? That's, that's the life of a Christian. I think, I think, was it, was it Calvin who you said, or, or Luther who said, I'm showing my reformed tendencies here. <laughs> was it Luther? So someone said like the life of the, of a Christian is just basically one of repentance, like constant yeah. repentance. And it's, it, it, yeah. So I think that has to be, and, and that the repentance is only really possible if you have a heart that's been softened and is continually softened through uh, just devotion and just an infatuation with your savior, with, with God's word and just uh, feasting on it um, as a, as an individual, as a couple. Okay. So we've got a decent amount of single people who listen and you know, here we are talking about this authenticity um, and this oneness, and it can sound kind of dreamy, <laughs> amazing, which in some, it can be good. The good can be very good in marriage, and the hard can be excruciating, rip your flesh off. Mm. Uh, but for single people, like, I genuinely want to know, like, we, can they have this level of authenticity, like that 99 to 100%? Like, are they supposed to? Like, what's the rules for single people and being known in every crevice of their soul? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, and I'm glad you brought up singles are not like partial people. Um, <laughs> they're, they're whole people, just like married people are whole people. Just because you're single doesn't mean you're missing your other half. Uh, uh, it doesn't mean that you're in any way hobbled in terms of being commissioned into the, the cause of Christ. I think that's really important to say. And also part of that, just because you're single doesn't mean you're somehow lacking a, an area of sanctification that's only available to married people. On this, uh, we, we did an event recently. Um, an online event, Zoom event with the, with the church. And that's one of the things the pastor is really focused, focused on is that, yeah, we're talking about authenticity, but having this level of transparency is not only available to married people. Granted, there are areas of life that are only available to married people, right? Under the Christian world, like, like sex, right? Sex is only really designed for within a covenantal marriage between one man and one woman for life. Like that's, and that's a beautiful thing. And for a single person, sex is not on the table at, in that, in their life until they get married. Um, and so there's not going to be, like, you're not going to have the same kind of authenticity that you would have with a sexual partner, right? However, like when it comes to sexual purity, I think absolutely accountability um, is a biblical thing. I think we, we see lots of, uh, I mean, there's lots of uh, text in the biblical text that talks about confessing our sins to brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can be cleansed from those sins so that we can work through it in community. Um, and so I, I definitely say that, yes, there is the sense that you can be 100% known. You can enjoy a friendship that is 100% authentic and transparent. Um, now, another example of like maybe a married couple would experience very uniquely is like commingling of your finances and your assets, right? Like there's a certain level of transparency, transparency going to happen there because I have, you know, we're, we're spending whenever we're accountable to each other in a different way, but you can still be accountable to a friend saying, Hey, I overspend on shoes monthly. I spent, you know, or whatever that thing is and help me with this idol. Um, so yeah, hopefully that answers your question, but definitely I think, um, I don't want to gloss over just because you're not married. You're not somehow missing out. Uh, th that's not biblical at all. Right. Well, and I love how single people, they get to show us 
what eternity looks like Hmm. is, you know, there's not going to be any more human marriage in heaven. And so Hmm. I love, like, I think for me, the healthiest, in my opinion, single people are the ones who they are, because they're not called to be one flesh with any other human. Yeah, we have that calling as married people, but we also have that burden, (laughs) so but and then also so i get to see the single people who i am so drawn to are the ones who you are like you are one flesh like the god knows your innermost being and it it points me to get to know jesus more Mm. and then there's not this one person to them who is their you know unified money and bodies or whatever like it's the church which Mm. they are one Mm. with christ but they're going to show us like eternity in heaven like that's they get to show us a glimmer of heaven in this being known like maybe this person knows this deep part of you and this knows this and they know that and so maybe it's these few people who really get to know you but I don't know. I just, that's like one of my favorite things about the church is how we mm. each serve as these gorgeous metaphors to each other. Like I'm so mm. drawn to Christ and how they're like joyfully one with him and they hopefully are drawn to Jesus and how Matt and I are working on our metaphor too. But <laughs> yeah, good. yeah. And we have a, a, we have a good friend. I, I would consider her, I don't have a, a biological sister, but I would consider her a sister uh, just in terms of like, we've worked together in ministry for years. She's obviously a really good friend of Selena's and, uh, yeah, she's single and it's like, she jokes about it and want, you know, she wants to find a guy and she's in her late thirties and she's just like, I've just watched over the years, just how she is just continually goes back to the well of the local church and goes back to the well of scripture and her relationship with Christ and how she has just found contentment there. And she's found hope and purpose in that she's not somehow just like drifting through life, like a jellyfish, right? <laughs> Wondering right. when is this, you know, man going to sweep me up? No, she has already been swept off her feet by Christ and she is completely content. And it's such a beautiful thing. And, um, and yeah, and she, she can still have those desires, but she's not hanging her hat, you know, on, on that whatever's going to happen yeah totally okay so you just you've described how you know there was something that came up in your life that you didn't even know you weren't necessarily being real or you like wanted it to die in this part of your heart so i guess my my question from that is are there people who exist who don't even know they're not being real like is it that people are you know, oh, I'm going to intentionally withhold. Or do you think that there's actually people who are like, nah, this is me. Um, I'm just doing, doing me. Hmm. So like how, I don't know. I, I picture them in like a friendship or in a marriage relationship. And it's like, how do they, how do you get deeper? Like, how do you, I don't know. Like, have you met those people? Yeah, well, absolutely. I feel like I, I am that person still like I, I there's probably areas of my own heart that I have no idea that I'm like, I, I just haven't yet mined that far, you know, or that the gospel is yet to really saturate. I call them enemy outposts, right? Like the, the, the war is won, but there are enemy outposts, right? That keep getting knocked down by God's grace as we continue to repent and believe. And, and, and so 
I just, that's my first kind of general, like, yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I think we're probably all in some way we're living that way. Um, I, I actually, as part of writing this book, did a, did a deep dive, probably the longest amount of study I did and the most amount of reading I did were, were around, um, was around this idea of emotional uh, intelligence, self-discovery um, from, from a biblical perspective, self-help. I mean, you know this, but self-help is one of those genres. It's a book genre that could just go away tomorrow and I wouldn't care. <laughs> I feel like there's plenty of stuff in the Bible and there's plenty of stuff to like, I don't need to focus on myself. That's probably my personality, but I'm realizing that that tendency is not necessarily a fully biblical one, that there is a sense that we are called to know ourselves, right? The, uh, the psalmist writes, uh, search me, know my heart, God, make, make, uh, search out all these like wrong ways within me and help me see them and help me deal with them. We're, we're told to count our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom, right? And that, what is that if not understanding our own, uh, flesh, our own mortality, our own sense of like, we are multifaceted people with minds and hearts and bodies. And so I think, uh, to that person, I would say, I, you can't really like make someone self-aware. Like they have to, the Holy Spirit has to kind of illumine our hearts to the fact that we need, uh, that we need uh, his constant help in this area. But if, if someone's saying, Oh, I want to like be more emotionally intelligent. Right. That to me is a very amazing sign. That's a great first sign. Then to them, I would say that we have this great common grace of psychology and we can, we can study the human mind and we can get to know ourselves. It's never going to be paramount. It's never going to, it's never going to displace or replace our identity in Christ, people that have been called his own. But we can certainly uh, understand kind of how our mind works. I'm, I'm thinking of things like personality tests and the Enneagram, which is very popular these days, and Myers-Briggs and the DISC test and all these different things. They're useful tools, right? They're never going to um, replace our, our identity in Christ. But emotionally, emo, emotional maturity, emotional intelligence uh, have been huge revelations for me personally and understanding that it is, a, it is a grace of God to know and search your own heart and to so you can give it back over to him so you can be known by your spouse so they can uh, help you give it back over to him. Um, hopefully that answers your question. I might have went on, went on yeah. a rabbit trail there. <laughs> no, it does. I just have a follow-up one is so my husband, Matt is a therapist mm. and yet he, awesome. and he, and he's super willing to like go to these deep places in his, in hearts of other people, but it's not, he really, he has learned increasingly to value my question asking because hello, here we are in this podcast. And I'm like, let's go deeper, deeper, deeper. <laughs> it's probably really challenging for some people, but I love it. And there's value in mining those nuggets, like in, in your heart and your mind and what you wrote. But to, you know, Matt's willing to receive it and do that work. You're willing to receive it and do that work. But if, you know, and I'm, I'm generalizing here, but let's say there's a wife or a friend here who's, again, generalizing a, a guy who isn't as quickly able to go to that deep place. Or maybe there's a guy friend who is and then another guy friend who's like, I don't want to go there. What's a tender way to encourage that soul mining like you know there's people mm. like barricade it matt was one of those people like how what can we do to break in mm. that's a good question um this happens in marriage a lot where we tend to want our spouse to communicate and feel and do and and say things in a way that we would feel and think and do and say things right and so there is a sense there is some of that that we see 
I mean, in our own marriage, but also clearly in other couples that come to us, there's just finding what is that currency that you're exchanging in, right? And it, so you may be accustomed to and really comfortable with going to certain depths, and he may not be. But it doesn't mean that you have, it just mean, means that maybe some translation needs to happen in there if he doesn't learn to speak that language right away. The beauty of it is, is that it's not a skill that's unlearnable, right? It's not something that people can't overcome. I think the biggest, the biggest and hardest hurdle to get over is just the desire, right? When if, if a husband expresses or a wife expresses a desire to go to these deep places and just maybe needs to learn how, then I think you have something to work with until that desire is there. Um, it's, it's going to be like pulling teeth. Um, so, and, and again, emotional maturity, emotional intelligence, uh, they're not, you don't have to have an, an IQ that's through the roof to understand EQ, which is emotional intelligence. It's a pretty intuitive thing. It's just a matter of having those tools and, and being willing to go there with, with each other. Mm-hmm. And I think like, you know, I'm specifically thinking of conversations I've had specifically with wives of husbands who want to hide and what you said is so important, that want, that desire, like that want to hide and that sometimes even barricading themselves. So I'm just specifically thinking of that. I know, you know, praying isn't nothing. Yeah. And so I know one, yeah. you know, wife who's just like, I'm just praying that God will use whatever it takes to break through his heart that has just... You know, we we have pain like you were willing to share with Selena, Ryan. But like if we have childhood pain and then we layer, 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 layer. So I think prayer is not nothing. It sometimes is mm-hmm. the whole thing. And then yeah. to sometimes maybe even holding up a mirror to them. Like, do you see how you're reacting? Because that it's not like they're just walking through life stoic. I would guess if people are, bar- you can't barricade some parts of your heart without Mm. it exploding in other places. Like often there's usually hidden anger or something. So just to like even hold up, do you see this like in a respectful way in an honoring place, whether it's a friend or a spouse, but Mm. I don't know. I've seen that work somewhat um, is it's patient way. I think a big, uh, you mentioned if you barricade part of it, it's going to explode elsewhere. I think uh, that's definitely true. I would add I think one of the biggest issues of our day and age and our culture is not necessarily like the conscious I'm burying this thing because I just don't want to go there. It's more this, I'm just so distracted that I've never, I'm not even thinking about going there and I, I'm too busy, but I'm not even concerned with this. And that I think is, uh, I don't want to say it's more insidious. I think it's more prevalent for sure. Um, it's, it's definitely more passive and it's more sneaky in that you got, I mean, I would say there's men and then there's boys with beards, right? And and I think there's a lot of men who are living as if they're not men. And uh, like they're, they're playing video games five hours a night or they're uh, sneaking away and, uh, you know, entertaining whatever thing that they know is probably not good for them, but they're acting as if it's okay because they're, they have their own agency, their own, their own adult, adulthood, so to speak. And so, and it's all just distracting, right? From some, something else, like dealing with the real thing. And so, uh, Again, that desire is, is I think, the starting point. I've been doing a lot of thinking around, like, how does God use our desires to, to really uh, be sovereign in our lives? And I think as a wife or as a husband of a spouse who's maybe walled off or distracted, I think, like you said, prayer is not nothing. I love that. It's so true. The prayer is, is what is prayer if not our expression of our need for God's explicit intervention in our lives? 
to actually go to him and say, you are God, I'm not. And I can't, you have not given me domain over my husband's heart, over my wife's heart. You have domain there. Please work because I'm helpless. I need you to work. That's not nothing. All right. And so praying is the, an important first step. The next thing that I'd say is really tangible is just love them where they're at. And that's not, that's not to say you enable sin. Um, there's a, a story we tell often of our friends, Ken and Linda, uh, Linda was kind of a Bible thumping church going, uh, a woman and she married Ken who, and he was like this known in their local town as kind of like the guy who would start and finish every bar fight. Right. Like he was that guy just rough around the edges, but like, you know, those guys are rough around the edge, but they're really kind of tender once you get past that exterior. And so he, he would never go to church on Sundays and she went to church this one Sunday and she was just, you know, kind of in her own mind, just kind of like, ah, can he never comes to church? He, I just want him to be the sinner to repent. Like he needs to repent and all this kind of stuff. And he just, she just felt the Holy spirit impress on her. Just love your husband where he is now today. Like, trust me, I'll work it. And basically like, let me be God. You be you. You love your husband. I'll love him too. And let's work together to see what happens. Well, she goes home that day, like kind of trying to be obedient and he's watching a football game. And so she, she walks in and he's expecting her to kind of like nag him again and like berate him for not going to church that day. Well, she walks in, doesn't say a word, goes to the fridge, grabs two beers, pops the cap, sits down, gives him one and asks him, what's the score? <laughs> and he looks at her like, what is happening right now? Cause she had never done that. And, and he, he said, he'll say this to this day and they're, they've been married going on 50, 50 years, actually just had their anniversary. Uh, and they're following Jesus. They've planted a church. And he said, that was the day that my heart softened toward God because my wife just loved me where I was at. Now, obviously God had been working on him that whole time, but I think that that's probably one of like pray and just love your spouse where they're at without enabling sin and just trust God to, to be God. Yeah. Mm, that is so important. And that is, it is what we all want is like do you love me where we are where i am at and it's mm. what jesus did for us is while we were dead in our sin yep. at just the right time christ died for us and mm. so that it's not just like oh this is a pc thing to do to love someone that's a jesus thing to do because <laughs> he, yeah. he went to the cross for us in our mess mm. um Ryan, would you actually end today with a prayer? Will you pray for both married couples and also single yeah. people who are, I mean, hello, this pandemic, I mean, mm. it's just added another layer of stinking screens between each other. This authenticity, mm. this authentic authenticity, you know, we're throwing <laughs> things up and not actually receiving this community mm. that we crave. And so will you... Prayer is not nothing. So will you pray uh, just for God who knows our inmost beings that we would represent him in knowing each other even now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Father, we are just thankful. We're thankful for even the ability to come to you and to be heard by you and to for you to consider our words um, as a loving father that you are. And God, you know, uh, and you're sovereign even now over this pandemic, over every bit of fallout that it will create in our lives and our relationships and our, in our economy and in, in every facet of humanity, you know, and you are sovereign still. So we ask Lord that you would 
that you would lead us as married people. You would lead us into deeper places of authenticity with our spouses, with our church community. God, not any pretense or any fake authenticity, but true being known and being loved by your body, by by your church. And Lord, I pray that all the singles listening to this would also um, experience newer depths of being known in light, it, despite the, uh, the the new barrier that that has been created by this pandemic. But they would, by your grace, experience uh, true, truly being known, uh, and and learning how to be truly authentic uh, with the the people that you put in their lives. Lord, we trust you. We believe that you are still working. We believe that you are. Uh, that you have not rested on our sanctification or on our lives and that we can still trust you to this day, Lord. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Oh man, Ryan, thank you so much. Um, Mm. We are just really grateful for you. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. This has been a blast and uh, yeah, can't wait to, uh, I don't know. Let's see. I can't wait to see how God uses this time. I mean, in, in two years, what this pandemic will, will prove. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, thanks yeah. for having me. This has been great. You are welcome. All right, guys. Uh, we are so thankful for you. And we actually want to hear from you for the next episode. Hope my Corona brain. Again, I don't actually have corona. Uh, It's just I keep forgetting in this weird vortex that we're living in to ask you guys to answer the question of the week for next week on the socials. So here's a question. It's what's your most embarrassing moment? I think I asked this like OG first episodes and uh, I actually want to hear from you guys and your most embarrassing moment. You can hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter when I ask it, when I remember. We also have a Hole in My Heart podcast Facebook page. You can just search it on Facebook and you can find it there and you can check it out. And guys, we do have right now, if you sign up at the bottom of our lorikrieg.com page, or there's like a pop-up that pops up, and there's a genius thing I just said. But if you sign up, put your first and last name there, you can get all the updates from what's going on with us when things actually start happening again, which we have some things in the works. I'm really excited about them. But if you put your first and last name at lorikrieg.com, as well as your email address, we will send you for free the three things that helped me recognize that Matt was the one. Uh, so you can put your first and last name and email there and we'll send you updates and you'll get that. You'll hear a little bit of our story and just what were those three things that I was like, oh yeah, it's Matt. Uh, but guys, we're so thankful for you. Thanks so much for your encouragement. I just got, I don't know, just when you guys encourage us to keep on this path toward the gospel and engaging these conversations, it really is encouraging. So thank you, and we really appreciate you. So for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week.